Maui Nui is on a mission to help balance axis deer populations for the good of our environment, communities, and food systems on the island of Maui. They've shared over 126,000 pounds of nutrient-dense protein with the Maui community. Secure your spot now. Become a snack subscriber and join in helping to build more resilient food and ecosystems on Maui. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I-Venison.com. And use promo code BEAR for 20% off your first order. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. My name is Clay Newcomb, and this is a production of the Bear Grease podcast called the Bear Grease Render, where we render down, dive deeper, and look behind the scenes of the actual Bear Grease podcast. Presented by FHF Gear, American-made, purpose-built hunting and fishing gear that's designed to be as rugged as the places we explore. It's been a long run since I've seen you guys on the Bear Grease Render. It's true. Yeah. You're welcome. This, this, is, a, this is a monumental day Some for us. We have the... Poor, the, poor life decisions. The OGs. The, the, the OG, original gangster Bear Grease Render crew here today. I have to my left, my lovely wife, Misty Newcomb. Welcome back, Misty. Good to be here. Sporting her first light parka. <laughs> Actually, Clay's first light. When I'm really cold, I put on Clay's really, really big puffy one. So you guys, the last time we saw, I saw you was before I went to Alaska in September mm-hmm. because you guys did a render without me yep. on when I was in Alaska. And then the next time we did a render um, in I, Alaska, I believe. Mm. No. Wasn't that? No, we, we did multiple renders and I've been traveling. And that, so yeah. you guys have been out of the out of the picture for a little while. It's like our vacation time. You remember when I asked <laughs> RT Stewart if poachers are jealous? I'm gonna do do does the render crew get jealous? No. Not me. Not Brent? Okay. Mm-hmm. I think it's envious. A little like, more envy. Jealousy is when you are concerned that someone's gonna steal what you have, and envy is when you want what someone else has. That's a good distinction. That is a good distinction. Gary and I were just talking about the render you had with all the the folks from back home. All the oh, men- yeah. that was a pretty good that, render. That was there with me. Yeah, uh, that was I a got, good render. I got incredible feedback from the render with Scott, Andy, yeah. Steve Phillips, Randy Stepp, Coy House, Gary Newcomb. Yeah, it that was a, it was that a, was a good render. one. That was a really good. I one. I really enjoyed the one with James Lawrence and 
those guys. And Gerald. Yes, that that was one of my I would, I would have Gerald Brewer on this podcast every week if, we, <laughs> yeah. if he'd drive up here. I have so many good Gerald Brewer stories. We need to... He's got a head of hair like a movie star. <laughs> he, 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 he does. does. So Misty's to my left. And then Brent Reeves, who's, who's... I've got... We've got a little dialogue to have together. Brent, welcome. Thank you. Uh, to your left, Josh Lambridge. Spillmaker, Josh. Ooh, good to be back. Great to see you. Back in the saddle. Great to see you. To Josh's left, Isaac Neal. I'm just happy assistant, to be invited. Assistant to the producer yep. of the Bear Grease podcast. Got yep. a nice mustache right now, too. My wife said, uh, why don't you shave your beard into a mustache? And I said, yes, ma'am. Did she mean a Fu Manchu? Okay, so I had not shaved in... Because <laughs> she might not have. 11... I'm just throwing that out there. That's a different thing. <laughs> right. So I hadn't shaved in 11 years at all, like anything at all. And so I shaved, and uh, as I was going, I was thinking just like, you know, the cop mustache, the dad mustache, just top yeah. of the lip. And then I started shaving. I was like, well, I don't know. So I, I just kind of stopped. It wasn't even like bottom of the jaw, Fu Manchu. It was just like, that's when it occurred to me. And I was like, well, I'll just find out. Like, she's getting home in an hour. And so she came home. And she's like, yeah, that's, that's good. That's like, acceptable. Wow. Okay. Okay. We need to probably Great. come back to talking about facial hair and... Okay, we're going to do that. Yeah, after just after you introduce our last person, because yeah. we need to talk about your most recent meat eater video. Okay. So, and to Isaac's left is Gary Believer Newcomb, who your name came up on the podcast this week, un, unannounced. You heard that, didn't I you? Did. I, I did. I wasn't sure if you'd approve of that or not. That, that was okay. Okay. I wasn't I'm, sure. I'm pretty notorious <laughs> with that, <laughs> with my buddies over the years. Good. Well, good. I, as I did it, I, I was like, I think it'd be cool with this. So, uh, Brent Reeves, uh, your career kind of is at a fork in the road, I guess. Uh, so is your freedom. <laughs> uh, so how, how did you feel um, now that your cover's been busted? <laughs> Has it been officially busted? Well, I mean, I've called you out nonstop on this podcast for being an undercover agent well, trying you, to bust me. Man, you can say anything you can say a rooster dip snuff but if you don't see a snuff can under his wing it still ain't true <laughs> so <laughs> am i right i'm still piecing I, all that together in my brain i feel like the big difference is clay is saying i saw the snuff can <laughs> yeah yeah saw the snuff can well it remains to be seen okay okay just keep Man. doing right if that's what you're doing. I never stopped. Okay. That's never, an opinion. I never started purposely doing wrong. I mean, everybody makes a mistake every now and then. Yep. Well, wait, no. can I just can I just say, did you check his hat for a wire? Ooh. Yeah. Oh. That's maybe Brent, <laughs> Brent should I think you're it. the one wearing the wire. <laughs> Take your shirt off. Yeah. Now was that on this <laughs> podcast? I don't know. I think it was, it was the last, last one. Week. I want to say the full story of, of that one is on the next because we're doing a full three episodes with RT, it's uh, I think that story is on the the next one, but I can't. But I think I told y'all about those. Anyway, Maybe not important. Yeah, I don't remember that part. Okay, okay. There, there's there's a story of RT being accused of wearing a wire. Okay, and he does, a, a, he he does a very wise move in a in a, a script change. Humans have scripts of how they interact with one another. He does a script change. So you guys actually just let the, the Black Panther out of the bag. <laughs> hey, and, let me uh, say something. I was about yeah. to challenge Brent to do the same thing to prove it. Mm -hmm. Thinking that I heard it on the podcast, but I just heard you say it. 
And next week, when everyone hears what R.T. Stewart does, the script change, I think it'll be worthwhile to think Misty almost challenged Brent to do the same thing. And I think it'll make everybody laugh. (laughs) Especially because Brent would have no idea what I'm talking about. (laughs) And for me to just say that. Great. And so, Brent, Brent used to work undercover. For yeah. you know, people that used are following to. along used would to? know that quote unquote <laughs> used, used to. to. Yeah, and I mean, what a great cover would it be to say I used to work undercover, but don't anymore. Yeah, and then to stay this long yep. inside of it. So you used to do undercover narcotics. Yeah, for how long a period of your life? About sixteen years. Sixteen years. Mm-hmm. That's a long time. It was a long time. Britt, how long did you? What was the longest you ever stayed undercover? Uh, probably. I'm going to guess about four or five months at a time. We usually could get it done in that length of time. Yeah, it was it, it was drug stuff. So yeah, you're not. I mean, you're not. Once you build a once you build a case, you get two or three buys on somebody. It, it took longer to get in than it did to actually do it. So and my, what I'm I should probably explain. It took longer. Like in the podcast, RT talked about developing the social stuff. Well. There wasn't any money exchanging hands when, when you're hunting illegal turkeys, but with the idea that somebody's going to get paid, if they get one sliver of, okay, I think I can trust this guy, dead presidents will get you into some place that you normally couldn't go. And I mean, you know, money, you flash enough money. You know, I've, I've even, I think I told the tale on here one time, I had an informant that went up and knocked on the door and it's all recorded and the guy comes out and he says, his name wasn't Bob, but I'll say he'll say, Bob, I know you're working for the police, but you get that money in your hand, so I'm going to sell it to you. So a lot of the motivation for Why that, do that? is the money, man. But, I mean, it's like what good does money do you when you're in jail? Well, he, I mean, he said, I know. When he said, I know, he was just he was gambling. Oh. He was gambling and he wasn't, but he wanted him to know that, you know, I know in the past you have been an informant. But this person also had a drug problem, and this guy knew it. So up until the time he was working for us, he was probably buying from this guy. Okay, I understand. I was thinking it was you. You went to the door trying no, to buy. It was an informant working that one, for you. That particular time was, was an informant that did it. Yeah. But, you know, you move into a place. A lot of the techniques and stuff that he was using, I did the same thing. You move into a place and you work there and you hang out in the places where those places, those folks are. And, you know, you develop a rapport with them. Now it was it was easy because I never once had any inclination of like or affection for any of the folks I was dealing with, and it's it's easy to see how because you're just that perfect. Well, he <laughs> they they wasn't killing turkeys, you know they were. That's right. This is a little different. <laughs> yeah, they were spreading cocaine and methamphetamine and heroin. You know whatever it was that we were targeting. That's what mm-hmm. they were putting in the community. So it was. I got a lot of satisfaction from getting them off from the doing street. it. Yeah. So you never had that, like they talked in this podcast about that phenomenon where you actually, you know, develop closeness to. No. You never had that. And RT, RT did some undercover narcotic work. This wasn't on the podcast. And he said he hated it just oh. because it was so rough. Yeah. Like buying drugs, you know, there's, it was just rough people all the way around Mm -hmm. and and in the poaching rings he was in it was a lot of rough people but it was a different crowd of people no and and he was involved in something that he was passionate about so it's not like 
a narcotics guy is going to be passionate about, <laughs> hopefully not passionate <laughs> about narcotics, <laughs> wanting to get the illegal sale of them off the ground. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I so there was, it was just a different, it was a different world. Well, I don't, you know, I don't, that's kind of not true. It was absolutely my goal every day I went to work to get as much as I could off the street. Right, right. We, I remember one year in particular, we got an award from then Governor Huckabee for every $1 of money that we spent out of our budget, we got $300 worth of drugs for a year off the street at the end of the year. And we tallied up what we spent. Hmm. Really? So from super salary. Yeah, absolutely. And well, and I, I wasn't saying that you guys didn't like doing what you're doing. I was just saying you weren't like RT's passionate about turkey hunting. Oh, yeah. So he's stopping turkey poachers. You guys, that that was my point. I understand what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was, it was interesting. It was, um, it was hard. It was scary at times. It was probably the best part of my career, and the worst part for my home life. But it was, it was eventful. Can you tell us the story of when your life was threatened, or you were scared, or there was something like your cover was busted? Anything? Yeah, Inter- Inter- entertain us. <laughs> Did you ever have your cover busted? <laughs> no, um, I didn't. And we were really careful about that. We worked and we tried. That's the reason I moved in those <clears throat> different places was once you get known in an area, once the bust out comes, when you make all the cases that you can make in an area and you get and you arrest everybody, it was just like RT. Then you got to go to court for the ones that don't want to plead guilty, you know. And make a deal, and I don't want anybody to think that I'm making a deal. You know, if you're selling methamphetamine or cocaine or anything like that, the schedule, the 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 drugs that fall in the category of what they call a, a class Y, which in Arkansas is punishable from ten to forty to life in prison. They wasn't taking, we wasn't getting somebody that was selling, you know, ounces and pounds of methamphetamine and giving them five years in the penitentiary and, you know, probation. They were pleading to, you know, 25 years, 30 years in prison mm. to keep wow. from going to court. You know, I had, there was one guy in particular down in uh, South Arkansas in Union County, and I had bought from him hand to hand, I don't know, five or six times. And that was one that it took about, well, about three months to do, I guess. And I finally got to dealing with him direct and, he was going they were going to do the discredit the officer thing you know what rt was saying and that's mm. that's what they that's really their only game when they got you know photo and video evidence and a hand-to-hand buy from a police officer and they offered him the prosecutor offered him 25 years uh in the penitentiary to plead guilty he's like no he said no nope, i'm taking i'm going to court and he went to court and they charged him with two counts and he got 45 years on each on each one of them oh, wow. oh wow. ouch so that Did pretty he served the whole time yeah he's in prison now really yeah i wonder if he listens to this podcast i hope so mm. hey robert he <laughs> <laughs> mm. did that's wild what yeah. do you think of that dad it's pretty interesting man i just can't believe that you can do that and live yeah. And I would think that somebody would be after you today, you know. You know, it, it was more or less, and we put a lot of folks in prison, uh, but a lot of them had the mindset that their job was to sell drugs and our job was to catch them. If they got away with it, we lost. And if we caught them, we won. 
and they let it pretty well let it go at that. You know, there's been a few threats, but nothing was ever carried out, nothing that we even took serious. Mm-hmm. And we went to great lengths to keep our home addresses and our families out of the out of the deal, out of the reports, anything that could be, you know, found under discovery laws. And this is also before Facebook. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's that's a challenge. I, I wanted to say I had a couple of people mention to me they said, Hey, how how can you tell all this stuff and it not be hurting law enforcement operations maybe going on right now? And to be honest with you, I don't have a real good answer for that. Well, I can answer that. Okay. The technology is well beyond anything so that was talked they're about. They're not sending in people like that? Sure. But the, the old poach coach with the VCRs and all of that? Yeah. No. Don't need it anymore. Don't need it. There's there's other ways. And I mean, I, I won't give specifics about it. Um, but no, there's other ways to do it. Have anything to do with uh, hiding cameras and overalls? Could be. You never know. And pocket watches. Pocket watches. That reminds me. Look at that pocket. Brent's pulling out his pocket Ooh, watch. Ooh, that looks good. Oh, it's got wow. on it. It's got a clear top on it. <laughs> Beautiful pocket watch. Well, it, that that is what. Uh, so the uh, what got us started on all this was when I w- did the series on Ludell and Charlie Edwards, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and just as the story unfolded, like it was like real journalism. I really don't think of myself as a journalist, but. That's what that was, Misty. Real journal, real journalism. Thanks for telling me. And as the story unfolded, a, a man came to came to me and said, "Hey, I know a law enforcement guy." Came to me and said, "I know the guy," and had to contact him of who worked undercover to try to get Ludell and Charlie. And so I go and talk to Russ Arthur, and that's kind of when this whole undercover interest popped up. And so Isaac and I were interviewing Chip Gross in Ohio for the Lewis Wetzel podcast, which was requested by Steve Rinella. Lewis Wetzel's a serial killer. <laughs> and Crystal Gale Hare. Chip Gross and the Louisville and Charlie Edwards stuff had just come out. And I say, hey, we just did a big thing about these turkey poaching outlaws in Arkansas. Chip Gross says, well, guess what? I'm a former Ohio game warden, and I wrote a book about R.T. Stewart, who's still alive, retired. And, and that's how all this started. Wow. And so, and and I drove up to Ohio on like the 24th of October, drove up there by myself and met with RT and talked with him for like three hours. And it was, it was really interesting. Uh, just RT is an interesting guy. You know, you only get so, you're, you're getting the cherry picked parts of these, ep- of these interviews, you know. Right. It, it was, uh it, I mean, you know, and, and you guys have heard the whole whole story, but I, I've had some people say that they don't like this dark stuff, but the, America is fascinated with crime. The number one podcast in the world is uh, Crime Junkie. Did you know that, Isaac? That was You're the, the one that I... to the producer of Bear Grease Podcast. I just listened to it. Crime the, Junkie? The story that we were talking about earlier. That oh, was the yeah. one my dad sent me. Yeah. I am oh, not that's, fascinated. That's what you listened to. That was the podcast I listened to. Uh, okay, earlier. What were you going to say, Misty? I, I'm not fascinated with it. I'm not. I don't judge people who are. I'm just saying, for me personally, I can't. I remember re- reading Crime and Punishment. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and and not being able to sleep, having not like I actually had to stop reading the book. Yeah. I was I was pregnant with Bear, and it could have I don't know had something to do with it. I don't. But I remember reading just. 
I just can't handle that delving into the dark parts of people's like that. You know level. what I told a guy on Instagram the other day? No. I said the only way we really appreciate the light is to understand the darkness. Yeah, that was pretty good. And I, I said <laughs> something like that, but there's a touch of that that's really true. It sounds yeah, like a funny <clears throat> proverb, but but I, to me, it's interesting in this country of law and order that we live in, like in our society, obeying laws. The rule of law. The rule of law is deeply inside of all of us. It's why we stop at like stoplights at two in, in the America, morning. And you pop out and don't know it, but you're born into a society that is fixated on laws. I mean, even when you think about the politics of the country, politics is all about, you know, this much government or that much government. It's all about a balance. Law. Of, if you and, if you look at traffic in this country versus traffic in other countries, you see the rule of law. You see like if you travel to that's where I've seen the rule of law is just watching how people obey stoplights when no one's watching when there are no police around when it's past you know time yeah. and then you go to other countries in the midst of rush hour and people are like <laughs> yeah there's just no regard for the law whatsoever yeah and that's that is a uniquely like, right and and so when we look at the north american model of wildlife conservation and we see it as the, smo- the most successful animal husbandry effort of humans ever it has been based upon a group of people that were for the most part, willing to obey the law, which is so wild because there was no law until the turn of the 20th century in the 1900s. It was there was market hunting. So these the the, the Europeans that came over here, unregulated hunting, no rules, no law. The the market dictated like how many deer you could kill, how many this you could kill, and then wildlife populations plummeted. Roosevelt, Boone and Crockett Club, all these guys came in and said, hey, we got to manage these things. We got we to gotta put laws in. All these state game agencies started popping up out of nowhere around the 1900. They instituted game laws. There was a generation of people that despised it because they were like, what? This is just like Europe. Because the mentality was they'd come from Europe where the peasants, normal people, non-rich people didn't have access to wildlife. And then we come over here and they're like, hey, this is going to become just like Europe. And Roosevelt was like, nah, just trust me. This is, this is all going to be good. <laughs> and then just we, we, we just like worked through this journey to get to like, let's just say the, this is arbitrary time. But like about the time dad started bow hunting and, and deer population started rising, turkey population started rising. It was like, hey, we all pretty much need to obey the law. And and. And from that, you know, some didn't, but for the most part, people obey the law, and that's such a critical thing. So to me, that's why it's interesting. It's not just like crime, um, but I also think it's interesting to me because I have spent the better part of my life really trying to follow the rules. So when I see someone that just absolutely doesn't follow the rules, I'm just like, who is this guy? And I got that from Gary Newcomb. Really, you, you, you said you always just kind of, enjoyed just looking at people who were a little bit crazy yeah yeah would you describe it like that yeah absolutely it's entertaining i mean i didn't i didn't like it but it was so opposite of the way i was raised it was like entertainment to yeah. see how crazy some of these people were what do you think about this uh series so far you know i think it's excellent i, I enjoy crime and punishment you know 
uh, I'm attracted to it. And I think a lot of it just has to do with the way I was raised up. Did you just say that you're attracted to crime? Well, you know, I like to to watch what's going on out there. And and this is is no exception. It's very good. Yeah. Very good. I do have one complaint, though. Okay, let's hear it. You know, I mean, you got... You got a pretty good gig going here, but the music, when you start this podcast, it sounds like it's on a record where the needle's going back and forth. <laughs> on the I mean, render. On, on the render. On the render. I mean, what's it? I mean, no, I don't know where We it don't is. deserve the crisp music. Yeah. That's for I mean, the polish. That, That's for like the polish. It's purpose. What, what you're referring to is the, is the uh, music the for the render. On the render, it goes. And then it it comes in full. Yeah, you don't like that. No, I don't like that. But you're saying that's intentional. Right? Yeah, hundred percent. Oh, you guys are that's full hard. of it, man. You got to be kidding. Y'all don't. No, have... I'm, I'm not even joking. At all. What, what's good about it? I don't know. Phil Taylor did it. Tell oh. Phil to fix it's, uh, it. It's... Phil. Phil. <laughs> y'all know what I'm talking. You know what I'm talking. Yeah, about. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a good effect. Yeah, that's it's what. It's, it's an, an effect. effect. It's just a little spice of life. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because it, 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 it catches you off guard. It's it's like a script change. You think you're going to come in and hear this. But then you, you're like, wait a minute, that, it sounds something's it's, wrong with this. It's symbolic. It, it, it kicks yeah. in. Well, see, the smart people figure that out. <laughs> but when you got an IQ of around <laughs> sixty, you're like, well, what? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's the only. And, and, I, and a lot of your series. audience, uh, Gary, is, right is this the first me? time you caught that? <laughs> I mean, you know, are you saying Clay's audience has a low well, IQ? Well, like me, like me, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, some of it. Yeah, any audience does. Sure. So. Anyway, I'd like Taylor to fix. Is it Taylor? Phil Taylor. Phil Taylor, get that fixed, man. <laughs> Phil, keep it. Uh, what what stood out to you? Was there any part of it that you just that you liked? I mean, well, to me, the it, stories of, you know, the individual stories, some of them I, I just really enjoyed. You know, I listened to that three times, and uh, I just liked every bit of it, period. But I, I, on the way up here, I thought, you know, I'm gonna have to come up with something that's my favorite thing. And you know what I, I'm gonna say, and I it's pretty close to the truth. When when you said, Boys, get the popcorn out. <laughs> you know, the jury When the, they were gonna watch the VHS tapes. Yeah. <laughs> the judge and jury's gonna watch the tapes, man. Get the popcorn out. Uh, so I enjoyed it. I you know, just all of it. I mean the whole thing and um it it was just really intriguing to me and I think um uh, it was one of my favorite o- overall. Really? I mean, it doesn't probably stack up with Daniel Boone or some of the others. It's historically, you know, you get into some really cool stuff. But right. entertainment-wise, it was, it was up there pretty high for me. Yeah. Josh, what was your favorite part of what you've heard so far? I think, I think I'm just fascinated with the psychology of being an undercover agent. Yeah. And just having to, like, constantly live a lie in such a way that your lie becomes your reality. And I think that's, I I can't quite wrap my mind around that, how that affects the way you think and the way that you see life, how you connect with people that you genuinely have relationship with. And then just the fact of, of building relationships with people that you're going to have to arrest. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That's, it's got to, throw you into turmoil it takes a very unique individual to be able to do that yeah um you know i think i think the average person couldn't couldn't do that and so just listening to him talk and this even how he would talk to you and just kind of be like 
is that the truth? Did I tell you the truth? Yeah. You know what I mean? It was just like, it's like, wow, I can't, I can't imagine what that's like just yeah. having that dichotomy inside so long that the dichotomy disappears. And I wonder sometimes like, like, do you, do you, are you able to differentiate between what's reality and what's mm-hmm. not? Um, it's pretty fascinating. And I, but I also, I also like, liked hearing him say, you know, I recognize what this has done to my family and, and, you know, it, it put a lot of strain on my relationships and, you know, I regret that, you know, I think the work that I did was good, but I regret the, the, you know, what it did to my family. I think, I think that takes a, it takes a, a an honest, uh, uh, it takes a self-evaluative person to be able to, to look at that and admit that with, yeah. with, um, with humility. And so I think that I, you know, I, I don't know what his life is like now, but I think he probably, you know, spends a lot more time investing in things that are valuable in his life. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? Give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. She'll love looking back on these memories and seeing what you're up to today. Even better, with unlimited storage and an easy-to-use app, you can keep updating mom's frame with new photos, so it's the gift that keeps on giving. And this is not a joke. Juju Nukem has an Aura frame, and we share photos, and they're incredible. Also, my mother-in-law has one. We have them. They truly are really good, really high quality. The Aura frame is easy to set up. It takes just two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. It also adjusts the display depending on light levels in the room to maintain the true color of your photos. For real, the digital screen is amazing. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame when you use code BEAR, B-E-A-R, BEAR. That's AuraFrames.com. Use code BEAR at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Montana Knife Company was founded by Josh Smith, one of the world's most experienced master bladesmiths. He's been making knives for 30 years. Made in the USA and manufactured locally in Montana. The knives come with a multi-generational warranty and free sharpening. Designed, tested, and built by hunters, MKC is a hunting knife company first and foremost. They have the sharpest knives out of the box and the easiest knives to sharpen. And that is the dadgum truth. You better be careful with them when you get them. They are sharp. MKC is a fast-growing company. They just hired their 55th employee and are looking to hire about 50 more in the next year or so. I've carried a lot of these Montana knives, and the one that I like the most is their Speed Goat, which is a lightweight hunting knife, just the right size. MKC knives sell out within minutes of being released. So head over to MontanaKnifeCompany.com. They have new knives for sale every Thursday at 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. So check their website and sign up for their text and email alerts. That is the best way to find out when they have knives available. Use code BEARGREASE10 for 10% off your first order. Montana Knife Company, working knives for working people. The old-timers say that the turkeys start gobbling when the leaves are as big as squirrels' ears and the red buds start popping. And we're about there. And we are there in the south. 
The Onyx Hunt app is one of my most valuable tools in the spring woods. With tools like coniferous versus deciduous tree distribution layer, you can save time by locating edges or transition areas of mixing habitats from home. Find an area like this with water in close proximity, and more than likely, there will be a goblin turkey nearby. Knowing the exact boundaries of private ground ensures I stay on the right side of the fence, but can easily find public ground to go see if I can't strike a gobbler. If you do get one to sound off, using compass mode and waypoints will help you pinpoint his exact location, allowing you to move in and make the perfect setup to bring him right into your lap. Download the Onyx Hunt app today. You'll be glad you did. Onyx has a special offer for you. Use code BEARGREASE to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt this spring. Yeah, I think that idea of an undercover agent getting close to somebody is something that you typically wouldn't think about. And the main reason I thought about it was because of Lou Dale and Charlie. Typically, we have a really easy, easy time like just say, talking about a criminal just very derogatively, just like pfft, criminals. Of course, you, anybody would, you know, go in undercover and would be thrilled to turn these guys in, which is a true story. But it's a little more nuanced than that. And that's the whole thing about Louis Dell and Charlie. That was the whole story, the whole part of that series that was so interesting is that these were actually, to many people, really likable people, but also these outlaws. And so I think that's and, – and then, you know, RT's just a random agent that kind of picked out of the hat. And I go to him and I say, hey, were you ever really close to somebody that you had respect for? And he's, you know, yep, sure was. There was this one guy. So – and then I talked to Matthew Sharps, Dr. Matthew Sharps, who says this is really common. So that's an interesting thing. And that's where you can't take the human out of the equation – and human beings being susceptible to relationship, susceptible to liking someone, susceptible to seeing something good in someone, even if even if there's some bad stuff. So, I mean, I think that's a good thing. I was honestly surprised the other way. I I felt like I was a little bit surprised that he only had a close relationship with one person. Mm. Like, I feel like when you're around people, and this probably speaks to the character of the people that he was around, and that we're making a career out of poaching. But just like, I feel like I can start to empathize with or, you know, have a have a person-to-person relationship with just about anybody if I'm given enough time around them. But I think that's kind of remarkable that there yeah. was really only one that he was like, man, I feel bad for this guy. Yeah. The rest of them, no feelings whatsoever. I actually whatsoever. took out part of what he said because it was so hard <laughs> uh, at one point when I said, what about these other guys? And he he just said... Are despicable people. I mean, it, like uh, strong yeah, language remarkable. than that. Yeah, uh, and wow. uh, and I mean, you try just like when he they asked the 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 defense lawyer asked him if he smoked dope with a guy, and he said, "Yeah, I did." I believed RT when he said they were despicable people, because he also was right. like target number two was actually a pretty good guy. Yeah, just caught up in a bad part of his life, and oh man. The the I I can't spill the beans too much because there are no beans, Josh. There's no mm. beans. But I would love to talk to Target Number Two. I know Target. who he is. Oh, really? I know where he lives. Really? Oh. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, I don't know like the address of his house. Is this? But I know. Is he? Is he one of our relatives? <laughs> I know. I know where the guy's at, and I think he actually. I I I I think that he's actually a really good good guy now. I would suspicion that he would talk to you. I bet you he's one of these guys that says, "Hey, man, I got kind of trapped up and." And, uh, man, I regret it, and I got a wonderful family, and I got a great job, and I look back on that period, and, you know, I mean, who knows? That's my instinct, too. And uh, I'm actually trying to reach out to the guy right now. That, uh, that would be awesome if you could. Hey, you hey one thing that I'd like to <clears throat> comment on what Josh said, I know Misty has a comment on that, too, but, uh, you know, to be a law enforcement guy, you got to have a certain makeup, Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you got to want to do it. It's like as little kids, you know, I want to be a cowboy. I want to be a policeman. I want to be this. You know, I mean, it's like and a lot of these guys end up doing it, you know. Uh, so our society's kind of geared to where we can fill all spaces, you know. There's so, But to be a cop, I don't know what it is. But to be an undercover guy, it'd be real interesting to see what the makeup is of, of these undercover guys. I would think adrenaline junkie. You know, I mean, you're stepping into a high every day. Mm. Every day when you wake up, you're just going, ah, you know, I can die today. You know, I mean, so somehow you kind of like that. I'd say that's right. I would have to absolutely say that that's right. And to the point that you sacrifice everything else. It's addictive. Would it be addictive? Yeah, very much so. And it was... It was all encompassing. I missed funerals. I missed uh, visitations because somebody called and I had to go. And when I didn't have to, but I wanted to. And I didn't want to go because I didn't want to be with my family. I wanted to go because there was somebody else to catch. And I needed, I, and I thought that I needed to go do that. And it, it all, it all came full circle to me one morning it was on a saturday and i had taken um my son to eat breakfast we'd gone to eat breakfast at a little cafe and we were sitting there eating and he was you know during this time my brother and i we still had the had the guide service going and we had labradors at home this is all going to make sense in a minute okay and we were sitting at the table eating breakfast and I was facing the door, obviously, and my son was back was to the door. He's five or six years old. And a truck goes by that had a yellow lab and a black lab in it. And I said, Hunter, there goes a truck with two labs in it. And without turning around, he looked up at me and said, Meth labs? Oh. And that was the that was a pretty hard thing to But that was his first thought, and we had Labradors at home, mm-hmm. and his first thought, mm-hmm. because that's all he heard me talk about, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, where's daddy at? He's working a meth lab, you know. Mm-hmm. At, at that time, there was only four or five of us south of Little Rock that were uh, meth lab certified to take down meth labs, mm-hmm. and you had to have these, this DEA training, Now we went to Quantico and had all this training to be able to dismantle them because they were so mm-hmm. hazardous. Yeah. <clears throat> and we were averaging, you know, sometimes five or six a month. That wow. We, and we were going everywhere. Hmm. And it was just a, a real time-consuming thing. And it was at the height of the methamphetamine hmm. plague and, you know, and 
Arkansas in this part of the country. So, I mean, that was he sh- that should have never been his first thought, and that was his mm-hmm. first thought. So it, it came pretty well full circle there, and, and yet I still did it for another six or seven years before I could, mm-hmm. you know, transfer. Your drive to be successful at what you were doing was, it sounds like it might be more than the adrenaline high, the addiction. You know, I got a, I had a, I enjoyed testifying in court. I enjoyed a challenge. I loved it when they wouldn't. I loved going to court because I wanted people to know what we were doing and what these folks were doing. And it was a challenge to me. And I never, you know, there were a lot of officers that didn't like defense attorneys. I absolutely loved them. And i like, man, do your job. If you can get me, if you can beat me, beat me. I never lost because I put so much into it. And I wasn't by myself, our whole crew. We never lost a case that went to court because we knew the challenges and stuff that they were looking for. And that was, it was vital, important to me to go beyond what we needed to do to ensure that when we laid it out there on a piece of paper, if they had any sense, they would say, look, there's no, yeah, we're not going to go to Uh court. Yeah. Another reason I like testifying in court, it was the only time that I knew in a room that I was sitting in that when I was talking, everybody was listening to me. (laughs) 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 Oh, me. Hey, a lot of similarities there between (laughs) you undercover guys and and war heroes. Oh. I mean, you know, you got a family at home, but you want to go back to Afghanistan, man. I mean, you want to be a sniper. You know, you you got this, you're focused. So, uh, you know, a lot of kudos to these guys. I mean, it's just, it's pretty cool what they're doing and the sacrifices and, and the benefit that comes from it for our society. Yeah. Yeah. Brent, what stood out to you as a favorite part? Being, being in, knowing that game, like, was there a part just that you enjoyed? I knew what he was going to say when you asked him, was it worth it? Because mm-hmm. it wasn't worth it to me either. At the time it was. But when you ask him and he said no, it's it wasn't. But that that's what stood out the most to me. A lot there was a lot of similarities. He was telling stories and all the stuff that he talked about, gathering the cases and making the case and being with those folks and having to be in the places that he was. You know, uh, the the thing uh, stood out about the cover almost being blown. That was yeah. crazy. Yeah, that happened. That happened. We had been invited by a a law enforcement, oh, a sheriff of a county in South Arkansas that was suspect to us to begin with. But he he had invited us to come work on a problem, a methamphetamine ring down there in that area, and we went down there. But we didn't tell him we were coming, and we went in this this bar that, uh, and we was there was three of us in there working, and. Of course, he had no clue that we were down there. The sheriff. Correct. And who do we see walk in the door? We're there an hour and a half, walks in, walks behind the bar, fixes himself a drink, and then walks back out. And everybody in there was in the methamphetamine trade. (laughs) Mm. So you think he was on the inside of it? Oh, I didn't say that. (laughs) (laughs) He's no longer alive. Mm. He was no longer a sheriff shortly after that. Really? Yep. But we'll call him, we'll call him target number three. All he had to do was to look where he was at because he knew all of us. All he had had to done was looked 
where we were sitting. Because we, I mean, we were all looking at each other like, "What's, what's going? He doing what's here? going on?" You know, I was because there's no windows in that place, and I was looking to crawl out one because mm. that could have ruined a whole bunch of stuff. But luckily, it didn't. He never looked at us. He didn't see us. Never knew we were there. But so I can, I empathize with that. I know what he's, how that that feels. I also know how it feels. It, it wouldn't. I'm very proud of the stuff that I did, but I wouldn't do it again. Mm. And even though I miss it. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't do it. Not anymore. You're safe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <safe>. yeah. <laughs> um, Dad, what do you say the chances are that Brent is actually an undercover agent? I think it's real high. I think if we it could, I think out. I think what we ought to do is have him strip. No, I don't want him to do that. Please <laughs> <Yeah>. don't. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Ha, has Clay talked about that yet? No, on no, this it's no. A, that's on the third episode. All right. I just told y'all all about that. Miss um, Newcomb, what stood out to you? What was your favorite part? <clears throat> well, I thought. I mean, it really is. I, I do. I don't like getting in on the dark side of people's inner conscious, mm-hmm. but I do enjoy like crime and law and order and shows, oh. you know, I enjoy, I don't enjoy, you know, criminal activity, but, but like, <laughs> like Josh was saying, the psychology of what he was doing, I don't think I could do it. I don't think I, I really don't think I, I, we were talking to one of our daughters last night. I was telling her a story about a situation that I got in where someone was asking me questions and I knew to answer them would actually reveal some information about a different person that would diminish their reputation in the eyes of the person I was talking to. So Mm. I didn't answer fully. I answered honestly, but I didn't answer fully. I didn't tell the whole story. And, and I said, when I walked away, I kind of felt sick because I felt like I had lied to them, even though I didn't lie. I told, you know, I was like really careful to tell the truth, but I think I would be a a hot mess in a situation where I was every (laughs) single day having to portray myself differently than Mm-hmm. Like who I, 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 that would just be so incredibly difficult. I thought it was crazy. All the close calls he came to, like when he was talking about the people overhearing from the other room, the guys, yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. that is crazy. Yeah. See, and that's just the ones that he knew about. Right. Oh, and that's just the ones on this case. Yeah. I mean, like this was a small part of his full career. Who knows, you know, how many times I walked around a corner and somebody walked out a store or something, you know, that. Hey, I know that guy. They, yeah. Well, I was just thinking about like the idea of the poach coach. Like, I'm a pretty <laughs> curious person, and I can't imagine sitting in the back of the van and not just like looking around. You know, it's a cool thing, and you're just like, ah. what's this what's VCR? It? Yeah. Like, I feel like there you, are so have many. You looked in my glove box while I went in the truck. <laughs> <laughs> Be no. honest. Uh, no. Have you ever looked no, at my like, console and looked at all that stuff? Just Dog like there's, there's more stuff in my console. You could. You it's could live true. for six years well, in mean, like, wilderness with what's in my console. The, like the, the like idea if you died, that, like in, in a 10,000 years, if they find your truck console, they can piece together your whole life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Isaac's been going through it while I was in the gas station. Go ahead. I'm, I'm formulating an anthropological sort of theory. This must have been a religious ceremony here. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, but just like his turkey vest. Like, he had a full-on recorder in that. Like, yeah. all it takes is one buddy to be like, what are you carrying there? Boom. Over. Yeah. Well, but, and that's what the third episode a lot is about. Because so I told these stories, like I told the whole story of Operation Red Button Part Two. The the first episode was kind of an overview of just under undercover work in general. But there was so many small stories that were still left that were just intriguing all on their own. 
that the third episode is going to be a lot of just like real unique, you know, clipped out stories of when wild stuff happened and he got out of stuff. Because that's what's so interesting to me. And he was just, he was, it, it takes a lot of confidence. And RT said that. And, and after I interviewed him and after I've done, spent so much time on this, I see what he means. Like, you can't hesitate. When, when someone does something, you just have to react. And most people will bow to confidence. I mean, unfortunately or fortunately, I don't know. But like if, if you say, you're R.T. Stewart. I know you. You were my archery coach back at that, that college. And he's just like, huh, you got me mixed up with somebody. Is that guy good looking and rich? And he's like, well, he was good looking. He wasn't rich. Well, it wasn't me because I'm good looking and rich. I mean, just just not miss a beat. Just like, mm-hmm. this is who I am. You yeah. Know? All the good knocks I ever worked with all had senses of humor. Mm. And were just in the gift of gab. Yeah. You could just go with the flow. Talk your way through anything. Kind of like Brent Reeves. <laughs> yep. That would be, though, that to constantly deceive people, I think, would be such a difficult a difficult thing, like to go back to your family and to have a habit of deceiving people all day long and then have to go back to your family and be. Try to be normal. Yeah, that'd yeah. be so hard. Yeah. That have, would be. Have you ever done this? Uh, I'll often pick up a f- word or phrase in my vocabulary, ironically. Like I heard somebody call somebody guy one time and I felt like it was the most disingenuous thing I've ever heard. Like, yeah, no problem, guy. And I'm like, that sounds weird. So I, I like started. Guy with Fu Manchu would say. Well, it is now because I started saying it ironically. And then at some point in time, I just woke up and realized that it had crept into my lexicon. And now I say guy. Yeah. And I, I think in the same way. He called me guy last night. <laughs> in the same way, you have these guys who like creep into this lifestyle and then they wake up someday and they're like, am I Bob? Am I, you know, like, I don't know. That would be a weird experience because it's not a, a, there's not like a turning point. It's just a series of decisions and a series of experiences. And then all of a sudden you're like, man, I'm in pretty deep. I've been doing this for 15 months. Yeah. Am I into poaching now? Yeah. (laughs) Am am I a poacher now? I want to come clean about an actual fear I have. Oh, okay. I have a fear that I'll be... I also want to hear uh, what you think Elon Musk should do about Twitter. Go ahead. We'll talk about that at the end. Oh, Lord. That's, that's a spoiler alert. Misty has some great advice for Elon Musk. I don't know sure that it's that great. I'm pretty sure he listens to Bear Grease, so he'll hear it. Okay. I have a major fear that one day I will be called on to do undercover work. <laughs> this is like, actually has come up in my, my thought life a lot. Like, what if I'm called on to do undercover work? And I have to break the law to do it. Like if the U.S. government flies a chopper in here, and lands like, it in the dark. Exactly. <laughs> knocks on our door. That's just how it happens. Like, and they Missy, tell me. let's go. And they tell it, me. It's you. like Rambo. When they what if they have, Rambo what if they have like an activation word, like, like pineapple. And like all of a sudden you turn into You're someone. A different person. A criminal. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, carry on. And my concern rack. is, and every time I hear Brent talk about his undercover work, I'm always concerned that this is going to happen to him as well. That I will be asked to do illegal things, but never tell anyone. And there's only one person that knows. Not even Clay. Exactly. And there's only one person that knows. And that person is either dirty 
or gets killed. <laughs> you watch and so no movie. one knows that I'm actually innocent, that I'm just following orders. Mm, this is a really specific fear. It is. It is. It's because it's I think I've, I've seen too many. Yeah, well, sure. Uh-huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. talk about this? So th- there's yeah. a movie about this. Uh, we talked about it. We talked uh, about it. Yeah, there's. A, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's a very specific fear, and it has shown up in movies. And what happens if that person, like their family's, like, wait, you've lived this double life, and you're like, no, actually, I didn't live this double life. <laughs> when I was with you, I was honest, and when it's just interesting. I you mean, would say like, what that. happens? Yeah. Um, well, RT, RT, and this wasn't on the podcast. It was just too much. But one time, RT was with the guys in Ohio. And they planned a spur of the moment trip, like way deep into West Virginia, and he wasn't supposed to cross state lines, or that wasn't a part of the plan, because you're going into another jurisdiction yeah. and all this. And he calls his boss, and is like, "Hey, they want to go to West Virginia, and I kind of like have to go with them." And he was like, "Okay," and 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 so only the boss was. The, and RT were the only ones who knew he was over there. And and he said it was a it was kind of a it was more to the story, but it was a unnerving thing oh, for yeah. him to be in West Virginia and he didn't even know where it was. Um This he, is the exact scenario <laughs> that I would be afraid of. And if his boss is dirty or dies, he's in trouble. He's in big trouble. Yes, if he gets arrested in West Virginia. Well, yeah. I mean, in all fairness, there are any number of ways that he could be in trouble. <laughs> Not yeah, just those I, I, two. I actually was surprised at how much he said that he was concerned about the legal ramifications of what he was doing. Oh, like, the murder plot? Well, yeah, the murder plot, but but just in general, like he was constantly walking the line of him going, him getting in trouble for what he was doing. Like he like has it been on the podcast yet about when they robbed the gas station? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and he needed to video that and declare that he didn't know that that was going to happen because if it went to court, they might say this guy's crooked. Put him in jail. So like, it, cause I asked him. I said, "Is there legal ramifications for you?" <clears throat> and he said, "Oh, every day." He said, "I had to really watch myself, everything I did, to make sure." So you know, there's a lot at risk. There's a psychological study that where they they basically told people to do something mean. I mean, this is the real short version of it. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. And, mm-hmm. and they found that people yeah. were willing to go very far doing terrible things yeah. as long as someone in charge told them yep. to do it. Wow. The, the study was that they had, they were told they were uh, being paid to do a study. They thought they were not the subject. They thought they were just participating in it. And the subject was answering questions. And every time they got a question wrong. They had to administer a shock every time like they got it wrong. Real pain. It would go up yeah. and to the point That's where- That's what they were told. That's what they were told. To the point where the fake subject is complaining of like heart pain or like, please stop. I don't want to do this anymore. And, and the administrator of the test- <clears throat> They just kept doing it. Yeah. Kept nailing it. And they found that people were, as long as they felt authorized, yeah. and c- that they were willing to- yeah. Go a lot further than than what you would be comfortable with. Hey, I'd like to read you to you guys a uh, email that I got, and I'm not going to say the name, so it's it's going to be fine. But I, I got this email. I shared this with RT, and he he was really thrilled about this. But this guy says I was recently listening to episode 78 of the Bear Grease podcast, Secret Agent Man, and found myself overwhelmed with emotion and even moved to tears. 
My father is a under is a retired undercover narcotics agent. For nearly the first half of my life, I hardly saw him and certainly didn't know him. I grew up feeling fatherless all the while. My father was home most nights and even took me to school in the morning, but that was the extent of our relationship. I knew of his career and idolized him for for it, making up that he was a superhero and his duty was more important than my life. Coming of age, I soon began to resent and neglect resent his neglect and lack of relationship and when when he retired he came home and pretended as if he'd always been home and my resentment grew you with me mm-hmm. with you tracking almost two decades later after years of therapy i've learned to accept him and know he did the best he could with no malice despite the abandonment i felt coming back to clay's interview with rt i found myself in tears listening to rt's interpersonal struggle with coming to terms with his double life even lamenting if given the choice, he wouldn't take, make the same decision. This prompted me to ask my own father about his experience, something that's borderline taboo in my family. And he, he shares when he wants to, but we don't ask questions unprompted. Asking him if he struggled with coming home after being an undercover agent took an immense amount of courage. His response was similar to RT's, and we were able to have the most honest conversation we've ever had. For the first time, he accepted his life was his work and not us, and he wasn't around for me and my siblings. He accepted how difficult he was to live with and how hard it was to live a double life, similar to RT's experience mentioned in the interview. At the end of the conversation, I was able to tell him with all honesty how proud I was to be his son, something I've never expressed nor felt until very recent. I never expected a hunting podcast would mend a lifelong wound I've carried for over 30 years. Wow. Man, that's a big deal. Yeah, I thought so. Really, really great, great feedback. Yeah. Interesting. You know, sometimes sometimes people have a uh, calling that's uh, so important, you know, that it that the the bad that it creates, you know, they've offset it, you know. Uh, so, you know, where would we be without these undercover guys? You know, it's pretty important that we've got people that have the courage to do that. So, anyway, uh, sacrifice to the family at times. Yeah. Yeah. Everything com- Everything does come with a cost. I mean, but, you know, the thing about it is, is that you could have any kind of job and, you know, neglect. Sa- same thing. It, it happens all the time. You know, yeah. if you're a a workaholic, same thing. Uh, but the, the motive is different. You know, the undercover guy's helping our society. Yeah. The workaholic's helping his checking account. You know, whenever I look at pictures of my kids from the past year or even just a few months ago, I'm so amazed at how fast they're growing up, and then it hits me hard. I'm getting older, too. That's why planning for my family's financial security has become a top priority. Making sure we're prepared and having enough life insurance in case something unexpected happens and I'm out of the picture is crucial. And Fabric by Gerber Life makes it simple to get the protection that's right for your family. Fabric by Gerber Life was designed by parents and for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable, 
term life insurance policy less than 10 minutes. You could go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. There's no risk to apply. They have a 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can cancel at any time. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash bear. That's M-E-E-T fabric.com slash bear. Meetfabric.com slash bear. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? Give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. She'll love looking back on these memories and seeing what you're up to today. Even better, with unlimited storage and an easy-to-use app, you can keep updating mom's frame with new photos, so it's the gift that keeps on giving. And this is not a joke. Juju Nukem has an Aura frame, and we share photos, and they're incredible. Also, my mother-in-law has one. We have them. They truly are really good, really high quality. The Aura frame is easy to set up. It takes just two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. It also adjusts the display depending on light levels in the room to maintain the true color of your photos. For real, the digital screen is amazing. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame when you use code BEAR, B-E-A-R, BEAR. That's AuraFrames.com. Use code BEAR at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Montana Knife Company was founded by Josh Smith, one of the world's most experienced master bladesmiths. He's been making knives for 30 years. Made in the USA and manufactured locally in Montana. The knives come with a multi-generational warranty and free sharpening. Designed, tested, and built by hunters, MKC is a hunting knife company first and foremost. They have the sharpest knives out of the box and the easiest knives to sharpen. And that is the dadgum truth. You better be careful with them when you get them. They are sharp. MKC is a fast-growing company. They just hired their 55th employee and are looking to hire about 50 more in the next year or so. I've carried a lot of these Montana knives, and the one that I like the most is their Speed Goat, which is a lightweight hunting knife, just the right size. MKC knives sell out within minutes of being released. So head over to MontanaKnifeCompany.com. They have new knives for sale every Thursday at 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. So check their website and sign up for their text and email alerts. That is the best way to find out when they have knives available. Use code BEARGREASE10 for 10% off your first order. Montana Knife Company, working knives for working people. Isaac, did you have a favorite part? I didn't specifically ask you yet. What stood out to you? Man, I think I I think I said the big things, the idea of like just the happenstance of how many times he could have been found out and wasn't. Yeah. And then the idea of just morphing into someone else. That's I think kind of an insidious and scary concept. And then like what does it look like to detox from that? Like when you're done, like how do you like Remember the old RT? I think that's pretty fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, I was struck in this by how uh, cavalier and quick to trust the targets were. Yeah. Um, I just feel like I would be really cagey if I was like operating in this large 
criminal activity. And then like you meet a new guy and you're like, what are you doing Thursday? Yeah. But it's that I can see how that would seem that way. I think there's a way to think about it though, that these guys probably didn't think what they were doing was that bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I that's mean, that, probably that's fair. what, yep. that's what we learned when we talked about Louis Dell yeah. and Charlie from everybody is like, it just in there in that part of the world in that time. It, yeah. It was just like, this really wasn't that big of a deal. That's yeah. what they thought. And then, and then at that time there weren't undercover agents. Yeah. I mean that in Ohio. So yeah. like it, this was like, what years was it? 95 and 96. Okay. Is when all this went down. Misty. <laughs> do you, uh, so everybody knows that Elon Musk has bought Twitter. Mm-hmm. Misty, what what advice would you have for him? I listen. Misty, it, how many people do you think you've hired in your lifetime? How many people have I hired? Yeah, hundred. Oh yeah, two hundred. I mean, right now I have fifty something okay, people working. Okay, so co- Misty knows what it's like to run a big company and hire <laughs> yeah, and fire a global company. <laughs> yeah, Elon Misty. No, this that what the problem here is that Clay and I are driving to Shep's basketball game. And just the two of us in the car, I just yep. start spouting out what I, you know, what I feel like Elon Musk is doing, and I have a little mercy towards him because he reminds me a lot of some of my students. I was a principal for nine years. Of our our school had a, at that time seventy percent male population. That's a big, mm-hmm. it, practically a boys' school, and yeah. it wasn't designed to be that way. But that that is what we got, and. The way Elon Musk is behaving right now reminds me a little bit of a lot of boys who've been sent to my office. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I was just telling Clay, like, I kind of, it, it, I have the same feeling for Elon Musk that I have for the boys that get sent to my office. Like, you know, you, you see 90% of his income, of Twitter's income, is dependent on advertising dollars. And he's kind of self destructing right now, where uh-huh. all of that money is being pulled. And there's this part of Elon Musk that's like, hey, Guys, don't leave. You could trust me. He writes this letter to all the donors yeah. saying, give me a chance. Let me prove to you. But then the other part of Elon Musk is like, has this crowd of people cheering for him. Yep. And he's like, I kind of like that attention. Yeah. <laughs> and so he like impulsively does things to respond to that crowd. And it's, it's just total self-destruction. Yeah. So what I want to tell him is Elon Lock yourself in a room. Yeah. Get a couple advisors. Yeah. That you really trust. Let's slow this down. Let's bit. slow this down a little bit. Yeah. And but they're losing $4 million a day. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's what he said. <laughs> it's, it's like, don't say the company's going bankrupt. Don't just maybe don't be a ma- Don't get on Twitter right now. It's, <laughs> I don't have really deep. I don't have deep yeah. things. It's just, just, just kind of a general feeling of like, ah, buddy. Yeah. Just come on guy. You got this. Cause like yeah. you see, he kind of wants to be. So yeah. w- when I, when I acquired bear hunting magazine in the, Midsummer of 2013. I'll never forget. You did the same thing. I was advised to not change a thing for at least a year. Like, don't even let people know that it's changed hands. Yes, Clay Newcomb. Did you keep it that way for a year? Pretty much. He did. He did. I had had an editor that was working that stayed on the magazine for two years. He was doing a job that I, I... I actually did his job, but... He was getting the credit for, just like I kept his face in the Mm -hmm. magazine. I pretty much kept things the same. That's what I would, if Elon were here, which, you know, he might be on the Bear Grease Render one day. Um, Bill Clinton, too. I want Bill Clinton 
Elon Musk, Gary Newcomb. Uh, <laughs> who else? I, I, who else could be in there? I have advice Michael for Bloomberg. all these people. Please include me on this rendition. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I would need all of you. Yeah. I would need. All, we'd have to get three more mics. Yeah, that's two more okay. mics. Yeah. Can you work that out? Isaac? Yeah, I'll set it. I'll just sit out. Hey, just, I, you know, I have, you just take pictures. Isaac. Yeah, I have real strong feelings about Elon, and I would say, let the guy do whatever he thinks is right. I mean, you look at his net worth. Have you ever looked at his net worth? Do you see how much it's declined in the last couple well, of weeks? Uh, hey, hey, he's taking that risk. In the end, he'll get it back. Misty said that he has, uh, and maybe other people have said it. I just heard Misty say it. I get most of my information from life from Misty. It's true. Um, I think I told him not to change anything about BHN. No. Well, the, the, the Elon has a, like, like Alex Honnold, who climb, mm-hmm. free climbs, and he has this incredible ability to deal with danger, like an unusual amount, right. lack of ability to have fear. It, it, risk averse. Risk averse. No, no, no. It's the opposite. It's a e- Elon Musk. He has no risk to aversion. Just be like, hey, if if I he doesn't this goes south, it's no big deal. It's it's really like a phenomenon among teenage boys where they they have risk taking behavior that they don't have the the ability to. They don't have a, a developed a fully developed prefrontal cortex, and so they and not just teenage How do you boys. Think is developing. Uh, it, it should be good by twenty one, but I don't know. He might have done some things. You know, the brain is is a dynamic thing, and so people take they they take risk without calculating the cost. It's it's why a lot of people end up just aging out of out of crime and drug use because they get that prefrontal cortex. It's an amazing thing. It helps mm. you kind of calculate risk. So I just think his. And that's been successful for him. Like that's, that has been a massive point of success for him. So he takes bigger and bigger risk. The problem is at some point, and gosh, I hope everything's okay with Alex Honnold too, because I kind of like him. At some point. (laughs) We'll put Alex Clinton, Alex Honnold, Elon Musk. Alex Honnold's going to die from climbing. It makes me so nervous that one day he's going to take a risk that he can't. It's it's like he's going to take the one just too far. Yeah, and, but I think the people like that, and this may pour it over to Elon Musk as well, it's like, I can't not. Yeah. Like, there is something inside of me that drives me to do this. But when you look at all, and it's, it's to be nitpicky, it's free soloing. Um, there's yeah, like what did I say? Free climbing. Free climbing is like, there's aid climbing, which was like traditional alpinism right. where you're using all the gear to get free up. Free climbing. Free climbing is when you... Just climb. You, you No, you can use safety gear, but you... Uh, you use your body to get up the rock, and then free soloing is no safety gear. Just climbing. Yep, just climbing. I just think anyway. that it's it's like a risk. Like these guys who take these big risks can be very successful, and oh, the, and though that risk taking behavior, it's we had a separate conversation that I won't quote here, but where I was I was saying like sometimes sometimes life rewards those risk takers huge oh yeah and and he has been rewarded hugely and (laughs) it's clear he's there's no way he could do what he's doing he he really very much reminds me of some students i've had in my in my office who are brilliant who have a very sharp minds whose dad owned a emerald mine in south africa reminds me a lot of when i bought izzy off craigslist (laughs) it was a big gamble (laughs) fired half the staff paid off big Took everything I had. Cut People the meals. Me said I was crazy, <laughs> but paid off big. And look big. at you now. <laughs> yeah, look at me now. Hey, Dad, tell us about. Uh, I meant to do this right at the beginning. This is the most exciting thing. So 
you were a little bit younger than Bill Clinton. Yeah. How much younger? Two years. So but he I, I was to, a sophomore when he was a senior. And you went to Hot Springs High. Right. My sister graduated with him. So Sandy. Yeah. yeah. She was in the class with him. Right. And over the years, has gone to high school reunions, even when he right, was. Right, right. He would invite his high school senior class to the governor's mansion, then to D.C. When he had a big event, he invited his senior class to come. Yeah. So you, what do you remember about Clinton in high school? Well, you know, in high school, it's it's uh, it's it's really interesting to me to look at high school because it's all like peer groups. Everybody's developing inside, and you're looking at the cool guys, the hoods, you know, different groups of people. And he he had the, hoods. the hoodlums. Well, mm-hmm. If you're my age, we yeah, had, we had hoodlums <laughs> and uh, hoods. We call we them hoods. We had the hood too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> today is probably Brown the, used that term when it, he. When he was talking yeah. about Louis Dell up on the sky lift, yeah. he said, couple of hoodlums coming I mean, you know, these guys, <laughs> th- these guys smoked, you know, in my, you yeah, know. yeah. So I- anyway, uh, Bill was, I didn't know Bill. I mean, you know, we would speak maybe in the hallway, hello or something. You weren't like his friend. No, 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 not even close. Yeah. Uh, he, he wasn't my kind of guy, man. He was too smart. <laughs> I mean, he played, mm. you know, he played in the band. He was just a neat guy. He dressed neat. Everybody liked him. He went to church, uh, you know, he was just a, he wasn't in the elite group of your high school, but, you know, he, he was, he was just kind of a neat guy to be so smart, you know. And you would have, rec- you, you really think you would have recognized that even if he hadn't become president? Oh, yeah, yeah. If you just said, hey, you remember Bill Clinton? What did you think about him? being a successful state farm agent. I, I never thought much about the guy, really. I mean. Sure. Uh, when did he start coming into uh, Arkansas politics, and you're like, hey, I went to high school with that guy. Yeah, lieutenant governor, probably. In uh, the 70s? Yeah. So when yeah. did you graduate high school? 66. So 10 years later, you're like, Bill Clinton. Yeah, yeah. You know, which wasn't surprising. Yeah. It didn't surprise me. Governor didn't surprise me. Yeah. President surprised me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, do you know, I, I remember when he was running, so I would have been like 12 or 13 years old. And I remember walking out of the house with you. You were taking us to school, and you were dressed up in your suit and tie, going to the bank. And I, I just, I, I just remember the moment when you, you laughed, and you said, you said, "Oh, Bill Clinton's probably going to be president." Like, I could just tell you were, you were like excited and and kind of surprised, and and I'll, I'll never forget that for some reason because I was like, "Huh, Bill Clinton's going to be president." I guess that's a big deal, and. uh and slick, it, slick Willie. Is that what? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Slick, slick Willie, mm-hmm. Slick Willie. Did you ever see him not inhale? Up. Oh. <laughs> uh, no, no. But uh, you know what? I don't. I don't doubt that. It probably isn't true. But I mean, you know, it could have gone either way. But well, if I something happens to me in the next couple of weeks, it's either some. It was either target number one or two that heard this podcast, yep, exactly. or it's the Clintons. Yep. But um, your handler was he, he was a, he was a nice guy in high school. Yeah, very uh, nice guy, very intelligent. And then everybody liked but him. What I said about you, uh, staying clean and sober. True story. True story. Unless you want to come out now. No, I'm not coming out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was a good dad and tried. Uh, that, that was all a lie, man. Well, no, no, no. Well, it is kind of unusual too because when I. When I moved to this small town that I live in now, a lot of the guys my age 
didn't didn't drink and do crazy stuff in high school. And I thought, what? I mean, in Hot Springs, it was just like, you know, you, you, it was, you know, it was, it was just different. It was very different in Hot Springs. It was like a, and that would have been, in our world, a big city. Yeah. yeah. Hot Springs. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. would have been a town of like 30,000. Which yeah. to us yeah. was like a metropolis. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, Billy Bill Boy, Billy Boy was a nice and then, guy. And then uh, your mother knew his mother and were kind of lifelong acquaintances in the town that in, in Hot Springs. Is that about right? Probably. I mean, she, she knew, she knew, I don't know how close they were. Yeah. Well, she didn't talk. About I much. remember, I remember Emmeline saying that she, I mean, I remember her telling stories of seeing Miss Clinton, yeah. like in town and them yeah. talking, yeah. like, you yeah. know, and, yeah. and, and probably she was highlighting that because at the time, you know, he was president. So, it was, but yeah, interesting. And my sister, um. She's a pretty good looking girl. I would I'd call her before she'd take off to DC and go be careful while you're up there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> mm. You can you can cut that Isaac out. Cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a, of all the things, that's the first thing he says. Leave it in. Oh, wait. It's a true story. It's a true story. Well, you never know. You never know. We were we were in Washington, DC yesterday. We were. Misty and I were in Washington, D.C. yesterday. You heard it here first. He's about to announce his candidacy for office. CB. Play, baby. He's wearing a tie today. I am wearing a tie. Somebody that saw that GQ video that I did, people wouldn't know it was a GQ video, but the breakdown, the breakdown videos that you've been seeing on Meat Meat Eater's Instagram is a a spoof off of GQ doing a breakdown of movies and stuff. And somebody said... When they saw me with a like a suit on, that they thought I was running for governor, or you know, they thought I was running for political office. Yeah, and uh, so, but no, that's not true. Hey, I have one other thought before you close this thing down. I didn't like it uh, under your under Louis Dale and Charlie, and I can't remember how it worked in, but I didn't like it that the guy couldn't kill a turkey. I mean, you're like going, okay. I'm going to send you out to where you can possibly get killed, but you can't kill a turkey. <laughs> yeah. They can kill you, but you can't kill a turkey. And I'm going, you know, I think there's something wrong with that. I mean, you, you wouldn't want to just say, go kill all the birds in the world. But I mean, you know, shoot the bird. So well, I, I don't like that. I think he had, uh, they had the liberty to be able to do that. But I think just the better part of, discretion and for building a case like if they showed up in the court and they said target number one killed 50 and i killed 49 send it you know that's an exaggeration no 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 and i'm the undercover agent yeah yeah so i think yeah i think he they felt the freedom too but they just tried not to but is that true brent that's correct okay Uh, you know that that was one of the biggest challenges you always think about a challenge is, is is having an altar alternative uh you know identity and life and everything but we they didn't have any rules and we did mm-hmm. and it, right. that's that was the hard part mm-hmm. yeah i mean him those, shooting a 22 yeah so he could miss i'm like going hey man you got the wrong guy go get misty to go undercover i ain't yeah. doing this so anyway very yeah. good yep is that because i 
I can't shoot a twenty-two. <laughs> hey, uh, hey, another thing. I I was real curious about the sentences. I mean, that's yeah. that intrigues me. It, you know, okay, this guy got six months. This guy got six oh. years. They didn't go to jail. If you want to hear about that, good luck because there is nothing about this on the internet. I, I looked it up, and you know what I found was. Bear Grease Render is about, I mean, the Bear Grease podcast was like, bam, 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 bam. About Operation Redbud and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. I spent, yeah. I spent an hour looking for it. Yeah. I finally found one listing on eBay of a 1996 September issue of Turkey Call. <laughs> it was just it's a, a title, and it had every article listed, and one of the article titles was Operation Redbud, and there was no photos, there was none nothing online. And I was like, I've got a buddy who is big into the history of the NWTF, Nathaniel Maddox, the guy that, yeah. I was like, Hey man, do you have the September issue of the 1996 Turkey call? And he's like, yeah, I got the whole year right here on the back of my toilet. So he he went down to his office yesterday or the next day and took pictures of the one article. So in the bus, they, they called the editor for the Turkey call up to Ohio that day of flew up there because the NWTF had provided a ton of money to the Ohio tip line, which is how mm. this whole thing got wow. started. So the NWTF was helping to fund the tip line that was like, hey, so and so's killing whatever. And then they get a reward from the NWTF. So the editor was actually there at the busts and wrote an article on it. Interesting. None of this is online. Yeah. It, yeah, so I, I tasked Isaac because what I wanted to do at the end of the podcast was to go target number one spent, you know, so much time in jail and had to do this and lost his this. And it, sadly, I, I, I'm afraid we'd be a little disappointed if we knew. What happened I think to those that's guys. the reason why, or partially. Yeah. Uh, I bet they got off. I don't know. There's a lot I've heard. I have heard people like off the record, and, and I can't even remember exactly who told me this, but. When you're when you're a a judge, and you hear a wildlife case, sometimes it doesn't translate to as significant a crime. Almost like yeah, but it, that's not a real crime. And, and I'm not saying it's a judge's fault, but I'm just saying the system is not geared to just fry people for wildlife crimes. And uh, and you know, to those of us on this side of it that love wildlife want like are playing this game this conservation game like we see how serious it is but when there's the next guy is a guy that murdered somebody yeah it's like it's a little bit you know i kind of agree with that but you know you you need your law strong enough to stop other people from participating and where is that it's like how do you price your product well price it as high as you can until it quits selling and you know back off a little bit you know yeah so uh, well, when Louis Dell and Charlie and Stony Edwards, Charlie's son, told me this, when Louis Dell, or he's the one that brought it to my attention, when Louis Dell and Charlie were doing what they were doing back in the 80s and 90s, literally it was like a misdemeanor ticket. Like if you killed a turkey, got caught killing a turkey, which they did a couple times, pay a $325 fine, go to the courthouse, pay the money, go back and kill another one. You know, Charlie said, well, it's cost me about 40 cents a bird. Because he he got caught one time, but all the ones he killed, he divided the amount of birds he'd wow. killed to the ticket, <clears throat> and so it literally w- was like a game. It wasn't the punishment. Today, it's not like that. They are taking vehicles, and RT did say the 
one of the guys had his vehicle taken away, put a lien on his house till the fines were paid. You know, there was some significant stuff. But yeah, that's the... Uh, yeah, because it's basically, he risked his life. Yeah. I mean, that, <laughs> I mean, it's that's like, a good perspective. That he risked his life for a pretty yeah, low so key. Slap yeah. These guys on uh-huh. the wrist. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, in the end, I, you know, what I want to say is that, you know, we're all massively supportive of law enforcement, Absolutely. what these guys are doing, the sacrifice that they're, that they're, that they're given to, to protect our wildlife and our right to hunt and our, our basically the integrity of the whole system. So when you go out and don't commit a crime and have a good hunt and take an animal, that is as much a part of the whole system as RT going undercover and busting these guys. And, you know, it's like, to me, it's like one big thing. We got to have it. So thanks Brent. Yeah. For being after clay all these years. Yeah. Got him busted. Well, it's great to have the render crew back together. Pleasure to speak with you. All Good of to be you. Here. Um, hey, Meat Eater, Meat Eater Black Friday sales almost done. Hey, we haven't addressed that it. it's almost Thanksgiving. Oh my God. People are listening to this on the day it comes out. Tomorrow's Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy yeah. your family. Be thankful. Be thankful. Kill yeah. a deer. Andy Brown says Thanksgiving Day is a great day to hunt. Always. It's the mm-hmm. opener for the South Zone of Ducks in Missouri. Say that again. It's the opener for the South Zone of Ducks oh, really? in Missouri. Okay. Hey, yesterday afternoon would have been a good day to hunt. I saw more deer driving from the highway Let me tell the mile you. to my house. I had deer everywhere. It was really? a good day to hunt. I mean, not. He killed one yesterday. Yeah, yeah. I killed a yeah. buck yesterday. And, and one of my uh, good friends from Little right. Rock, uh, <laughs> I visited with him this Gary week, Salsa. and he's a great hunter. And... uh he said, he talked about you. He said, yeah, I'd like to meet Clay sometime. And he said, by the way, Monday, I forget what day this was, he said, is the red moon. He said, that should be the best day of the whole year to hunt. The red moon. Monday or Tuesday of this. Last guess, week, I, right? There last was a blood week. Moon. Yeah, it was blood moon. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 It, it was boy, Monday. It was pretty, too. It was pretty. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was pretty amazing. The kids and I went out and looked at it, and we had a really good view of it, and it was, it was beautiful. And y'all had snow. Mm-hmm. We've had snow yeah, twice. We've had a ridiculous They're talking about snow, snow tomorrow, maybe. And they're All ta- right, guys. Yeah, tonight. Thank you o'clock. so much. Thank you for listening to the Bear Grease Podcast. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.